when it comes to revitalizing your faith. Is spending time in God's Word enough? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah ponders the many benefits of reading and understanding the Bible and reveals in Nehemiah that there's another crucial part of the equation, obedience. From 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, here's David to introduce today's message, Getting Serious About Obedience. Thank you for joining us today. What do these words have in common? Hunger, humility, honesty, habit, and happiness. They're all related to obedience, and we're going to talk about every one of them in these next two days as we take step number two in this 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal series. We're studying the last half of the book of Nehemiah. We're examining what God did to bring his people back to obedience and fellowship with him. As you remember, they came back and rebuilt the walls of the city. I've often thought that while they were rebuilding the walls of the city, the walls of their own spiritual hearts were falling apart. Now they're being reconstructed, and we get to walk along for the journey because maybe some of us need to be renewed as well. A great series for the beginning of the new year. I'm glad you've joined us. Let me remind you, there's a study guide and a set of CDs for this series. You can get those at davidjeremiah.org. And the resource for this month is the book by O.S. Hawkins called The Prayer Code. Any renewal obviously involves prayer, and The Prayer Code is a wonderfully written book to help you re-energize your life when it comes to your prayer. Let me encourage you to get this book and just take your time and work through it and ask God to help you not only read it, but respond to it and let it change your life. This beautiful leather-covered book is yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of January. Why not be among the first to ask for your copy when you send your gift today? Here is Getting Serious About Obedience from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 to 18. Step number one in... Renewal is always getting back to the book. There can be no renewal in our own lives until, first of all, we have reestablished the priority of God's Word in our lives individually. And may I also say that the quickest step toward backsliding is to leave off the reading of the Word of God. To put the Word of God out of your life or let it become incidental to your life is the surest road I know to get out of fellowship with the Lord. There is something about getting your nose in that book every day that keeps you going in the right direction. But we are going to learn in the section of Scripture that is before us now that getting back to the book is not enough. There are hundreds of people who read the Bible every day and whose lives bear no response whatsoever to what they've read. Step number two in renewal is getting serious about obedience. Reading the Bible is not enough. We are to observe to do. We are to read in order that we might follow the instructions that we receive. And this is surely illustrated for us in the 8th chapter of the book of Nehemiah as we read beginning at the 13th verse. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. 
and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so, and there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now I would like to share with you, as we look at these few verses, just several principles about obedience that seem quite resident in the text itself. Things that we can learn about obedience. They don't necessarily come in any logical manner. They aren't built one upon the other. They're simply observations that we can make as we study the text together about the nature of obedience. In our discussion from 1 Peter, we were talking about the fact that we are to be obedient children to our Father. That's what God has called us to do. He has called you and me to be obedient to the Father. And if I could take all of the lessons that I've learned about the spiritual life, all of the things that are taught at conferences, if I could try to explain to you what it means to abide in Christ, if I could say, here is the secret to your spiritual life in one word, I could not come up with a word that would be more central to the Christian experience than the word obedience. It is the sum total of all that God has asked us to do. If we do that, we will have done all. If we fail to do that, we will have done nothing. I think of the Old Testament story of Saul and his unwillingness to deal with obedience in his own life. How he compromised his integrity when he claimed to have obeyed and he had not obeyed. And he was given this very important message, to obey is better than sacrifice. God puts obedience at the very top of his list. And it makes a great deal of sense when you think about it that if he has given to us a revelation and he's made sure that it was available to us in written form so that we could understand it and those of us here in this country with all of the translations that we have. If God has gone to the effort to secure to us a sure word of prophecy and put it in our hands. He has not done so in order that we might read it and then decide what to do with it. He has given this book to us that we might obey it. Now there are some very evident things in this text relative to obedience that we need to write down on the tables of our hearts. Number one, it's quite evident that obedience is related to hunger. Obedience is related to hunger or desire. Notice in the 13th verse it says that the second day the heads of the fathers of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe and they came to him in order to understand the words of the law. Now if you have remembered what we have learned so far you know that the second day is a reference to the fact that the day after they had stood on their feet for three hours from morning until noonday on the second day, they came back to Ezra and they said, we want more. 
We want you to teach us more from this book. We want to understand what is here. Will you please open the book and help us to understand it? When you have that kind of a spirit in your heart, you're on your way toward obedience. I must confess that on occasion I sense uh, that kind of hunger here in the States, but I have never sensed that hunger here in the States like I have sensed it as I've had opportunity on a few occasions to travel outside of the continental United States and minister to missionaries and those on the mission field. There, there is a genuine hunger for the Word of God, and they hunger for God's Word in order that they might understand it, in order that they might obey it. That is the key to a very vibrant life in Jesus Christ, the hunger to know God's Word with the purpose in mind of obeying it. The second beatitude in the book of Matthew says it this way, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. J.N. Darby has written about this in one of his books. He says, To be hungry is not enough. I must really be starving to know what is in God's heart toward me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husks. But when he was starving, he turned back to his father. To hunger and thirst really means to be desperate, to be starving, to feel life is ebbing out, and to realize my urgent need of help. That's what it means to be hungry. And that's the way they were in these days when they had rediscovered the law. They had no idea what they'd been missing. All of a sudden, they had one day of three hours of Bible teaching, and they were so hungry, they came back the next day and said, let's do it again. We want to learn more. In fact, as you read the text carefully, you'll discover this thing went on for eight days. It was an eight-day Bible conference, if you will. And Ezra was the teacher, and the people were hungry to learn. One of my favorite writers is the man Tozer. The more I learn about him, the more I love him and impressed with him. He was a man who walked against the grain of his time. He was one of those people who was a nonconformist and he didn't care what people thought. He said what he believed God would have him to say. He usually had folks angry at him. Even though he's respected today, the monuments that we have built to Tozer, many of them have been built with the stones that were thrown at him while he was alive because he was not a popular man in his time. But A.W. Tozer had a way of saying things you could not forget. He would talk about the truth of the Word of God and one of his books called The Pursuit of God, he makes this statement about spiritual hunger. He says, why is it that some people find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and then let multitudes of others struggle along in imperfect Christian experience? Of course, the will of God is the same for all, he writes. He has no favorites in his household. All that he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. The difference lies not with God, the difference lies with us. Pick at random, says Tozer, a score of great saints whose lives and testimonies are widely known. Let them be Bible characters or well-known Christians of post-biblical times. You will be struck instantly with the fact that the saints were not alike. Sometimes the unlikeness were so great as to be positively glaring. For instance, how different was Moses from Isaiah? How different was Elijah from David? How unlike each other were John and Paul, St. Francis and Luther, Finney and Thomas Akempis? 
The differences are as wide as human life itself. The differences of race and nationality and education and temperament and personal qualities. Yet these men all walked, each in his own day, upon a high road of spiritual living far above the common man. Their differences must have been incidental and in the eyes of God of no significance. In some vital quality, they must have been alike. And then Tozer asked the question, what was that quality? And he answers it, I venture to suggest that the one quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open toward heaven. Something urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. As David neatly put it, when thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. End of quote. What is he saying? He's simply saying the difference with these men was they had developed a spiritual desire and hunger to obey God. And that's the thing that drove them. And maybe that seems rather trivial to even talk about, except that there seems to be such a lack of concern about that among God's people today. A lack of concern to obey, to get into what God is saying to us in his word with the desire to open the book and hear what he's saying with the desire to write at the bottom of the page, Lord, whatsoever thou sayest unto me, that will I do. Do we not read the Bible more for intellectual reasons? Do we not exegete the text so that we can display our ability to understand the word? And yet God has given to us this book so that we might obey it. And one of the first steps toward obedience is to be hungry to know God. Obedience is related to hunger. Notice, secondly, as we read in Nehemiah, that obedience is related to humility. In the 13th verse, we are told that the heads of the fathers, the households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to hear Ezra. Now, I'm sure that many of these people who came to hear Ezra teach were older than Ezra was. Some of these men were grandfathers. Others were scribes. They were all members of Ezra's peer group, if you will. But they came and they said, would you please teach us? We want to learn. And let me suggest to you that one of the keys to being able to learn and to obey is to come with a spirit of humility, to come with the desire that God would teach you and to be open toward the teaching of his word in your own life. There are a number of places in the word of God where we are told not to be wise in our own eyes. Have you noticed how often that's in the Bible? For instance, Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Seest thou a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope of a fool than in him. Isaiah 5.21 says, Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And Romans 12.16 says, Be not wise in your own conceits. Why are those verses in the Bible? Those verses are in the Bible to remind us of a very important truth, and that is the man who is filled up with himself has got no room for God. man who is so impressed with what he knows is never going to ask God what he needs to know. So one of the keys to understanding and one of the keys to the road of obedience is to come to the place where you recognize you don't have all the answers. Now, if you recognize that of your own volition, blessed are you. If you don't, God will teach that to you in a very painful process. God has a wonderful little school he enrolls his children in called the School of Humility. 
And sometimes he uses painful processes to remind us how very unprepared we are apart from the Spirit of God in our life. These men came to Ezra and they said, Would you please teach us? Would you please unfold the Word of God? They had a spirit of receptivity and desire and humility and hunger. J.I. Packer, a man whose writings I greatly appreciate, once wrote, Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. It is feared that many Christians spend all their lives in too unhumbled and conceited a frame of mind to ever gain anything from God at all. End of quote. If you see a person who's all wrapped up in what he knows, you can be sure that God will not teach him much until he is emptied of himself. So they came, first of all, with a hunger to hear the word of God, and they came, secondly, humbled in that they initiated the process and they said, would you please teach us? And Ezra became their teacher. Now, the heart of this section in Nehemiah 8 is wrapped up in this third principle about obedience. Obedience is not only related to hunger and to humility, but obedience is related to honesty. And this is truly an amazing thing that we read. And I want to help you understand the background of this so you can get the impact of what happened in this record. For we read that they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, here's what's going on in this story. On this occasion, a notable discovery was made as Ezra was teaching from the law. The discovery was that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now, this was at once recognized as a challenge to their obedience. Are they going to do this? Oh, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, so what's the big deal about dwelling in booths? Well, here is something which had not been observed for over a thousand years in the history of Israel. If you go down to verse 17 in the 8th chapter, please note what it says. It says, For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. So all the way back to Joshua's time, they had ceased to observe the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what this feast is all about. Nobody had observed it. You can take the most glorious days of Solomon and David, and there was no observance of the Feast of Tabernacles. You can look at all of the kings and the judges and the prophets who came in between David and Ezra, and you will see a whole section of Jewish history where the Feast of Tabernacles was not observed at all. And then one day, these people are reading in the Bible. And as they read in the Bible, that Ezra is explaining to them, you know, you should go out and gather all these twigs and everything and make yourself a little hut and sit out in the hut and observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And I can just hear the exegete saying, well, you know, you have to understand that culturally. <laughs> I mean, that isn't really for today. If you understand the culture of that, you really, I mean, God doesn't really expect us to go out and sit in a hut. I mean, no way. But you see, these folks had come to the word of God with such a naive simplicity about them. They were so honest that they said, God says we're supposed to be sitting in huts and observing the feast. Why don't we do that? And they looked at each other. I can just see it. It is just like the light went on. Well, 
well, when do we start? Okay, enough Bible teaching for today. Let's go get the sticks and let's get the huts built. And they just came to the word of God with that kind of simple honesty. To obey this required unbelievable inconvenience. They had to argue within themselves that maybe this didn't make any sense today, but it was evident that God had said it, so maybe they should do it. And they obeyed. My friends, obedience is related to honesty. Just taking God's word and understanding it and letting the integrity of the book speak to your own heart. I think we've explained away far too much of God's word culturally and every other way. Now, I understand there are cultural things we need to understand to understand the real meaning of the Word of God. I also understand the importance of the progress of revelation. I know the dispensations. I understand we don't offer animal sacrifices like the Jews did in the Old Testament. I understand all of that. But if we are not careful, we are taking the hard sayings of the Word of God that we really don't want to obey, and we culturalize those sayings so that We have come up with a convenient way not to be obedient to the Word of God. And I love this passage of Scripture which says, hey, nobody's done this for a thousand years. Well, you know, if they haven't done it for a thousand years, we shouldn't. Well, yeah, it says right here we're supposed to do it. And they did it. Often reminds me when I read of this of Noah. Can you imagine the process through which Noah went when God told him to build an ark in a place where there was absolutely no water, where they had never seen rain. Rain had not happened yet. And he's out there building this huge thing, and people are coming by. And I know you've all heard Flip Wilson and some of the others make fun of this and kind of joke about it, and it does have a sense of humor in it. You can't help but notice, what are you building? Noah, I'm building an ark. What is an ark? Well, it's for when it rains. What is rain? Well, you know, when water falls out of the sky, oh, what are you going to do with this? Well, we're going to put animals in it, and we're going to live in it, and when the rain comes down and the water comes up, we're going to float around on the top of the earth. Sure, Noah, right. And he just kept right on banging, putting that thing together. Why? Because he had an honest simplicity about God's will in his life. Amen. I don't think we will ever come to grips with what it means to be obedient until we can open this book on our knees and say, God, I don't know what you have for me today. Well, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Whether it seems to make sense to me or not, whether other people are doing it or not, I'm going to do it. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes people use what other folks do to excuse what they do. And you know, interestingly enough, when you stand before God someday, you won't be there as a group. (laughs) You'll be there individually, and there won't be any way for you to deflect what you did or didn't do on someone else. So you better learn to walk humbly before God, and uh, whatever He tells you to do, do it, no matter what anybody else says or does. A really important lesson when it comes to renewal. Well, we're continuing our study of the second half of Nehemiah, Uh, The series is called 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal. I remind you there's a study guide and a set of CDs that goes with this series. And uh, you can get those from davidjeremiah.org. Hey, friends, uh, time is running out for me to tell you about the Holy Land Tour, which is March 22nd through April 1st, just coming up around the corner. We still have room for a few more. If you want to come with us, 
please go to the website and get all the information and begin the process as soon as you can. We've got all of these um, technicalities worked out with the cruise company, with Israel. You can go with confidence and enjoy this incredible country. We're looking forward to it with all of our hearts. Also, I want to remind you that during the early days of January, we have a kind of a recruitment time for Bible Strong Partners. These are people who stand with us every month and uh, just pray for us and give to us and and provide the strength of our foundation. And we have many things that we do to provide um, quality materials for our Bible Strong Partners. If you'd like to know more about it, go to our website. It's all over the place. And if you're on our list, you've probably already gotten some mail about it. Just encouraging you to consider it, respond to it, join our team. We'd love to have you aboard. Thanks for listening today. Have a wonderful day and be sure to join us tomorrow right here on this good station as we continue 10 Steps Toward Spiritual Renewal. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code. 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several durable and stylish cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Language specialists estimate that there are nearly 7,000 distinct languages spoken in the world today. But there is one language that never appears on any official list of languages. 
and that is the language of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, sometimes people hear this language without really knowing it's a foreign language at all. While speaking, Jesus would often say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He meant there is a difference between hearing God's words physically and hearing them spiritually. And to hear God's truth spiritually, we have to have what Jesus called ears to hear. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the language of God's kingdom on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.